welcome to the Future of Supply Chain podcast, where we explore strategies and insights to supply chain operations and inventory planning. Join us as we talk to the brightest minds in the supply chain planning and operations space to bring you industry-leading knowledge. We'll uncover what's working in the retail space and explore solutions to common inventory challenges. And most importantly, we'll cover what the future of supply chain holds, a future that is in our very own hands. I'm your host, Divya Bade from Fuse Inventory, a female-founded inventory planning software powering the future of commerce. Today, we're speaking with Gotham Gupta, an early-stage investor with an operator mindset. Gotham is currently a partner at M13, where he focuses on early-stage investments in companies fueled by changes in consumer behavior. Prior to joining M13, Gotham was the founder and CEO of the notable Nature Box, which is a digitally native brand of snacks that he led from inception through becoming a leading brand in the snacking market. Gotham started the company because of his passion for nutrition and his belief that the next generation of food has to be about change. NatureBox has attracted millions of customers and has over 40% brand awareness across the country. This experience gave Gotham many hard-earned lessons in management, scaling, and raising capital. As a professional and angel investor, Gotham has funded over 25 companies, including the likes of Big Commerce, Honest Company, Grammarly, Imperfect Produce, and many more. Outside of work, he's passionate about enabling the next generation of entrepreneurs through education. And so I thought he'd be the perfect guest for us. On this episode, we'll chat with Gotham about what he's learned over the years and what advice he has for growing a business. Okay, Gotham, thank you so much for joining us today. I know we're going to get into a lot of valuable insights from your wealth of knowledge and experience, and I'm super excited to get into it. But I want to take a moment first to get to know a little bit more about you and and how you got where you are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's a pleasure to join you, and uh, thanks for having me. Um, So I'll give you a little bit of my story. Uh, I started my career really from a young age. I I had always been interested in in business. um, And without knowing the word, I I had always been interested in entrepreneurship. Um, And so kind of started my career actually working on the other side of the table from entrepreneurs um, as a VC investor at a firm called General Catalyst. Uh, I was really fortunate to join General Catalyst uh, when I was 18 years old, if you can believe it, as an intern, um, and just kind of parlayed that internship experience into a full-time job, ended up spending eight years of my career there, um, and then left uh, to start a company called NatureBox, which is a multi-channel brand of snack food. Um, we grew that business. I was the CEO for six and a half years. Uh, and then just about a year and a half ago, um, I decided to go back to my roots in venture capital and, and join a firm called M13. Well, I'm super curious about M13. As I understand it, I, I think it's a team of ex-entrepreneurs. Is that right? That help other founders. Uh, and so I'm curious to hear you know, more about some of the success stories that have come out of M13. Yeah, definitely. I mean, M13 is uh, an incredible story. It was actually founded by um, two uh, people who are brothers uh, and successful entrepreneurs um, who started investing in tech companies uh, about five years ago um, and have invested in some of the the best consumer technology brands out there. So Ring, ClassPass, Bonobos, um, uh, you know, Lyft, uh, all kinds of different uh, tech brands. Um, and 
about two years ago, they made the decision to institutionalize, raise some outside capital, and really build a platform to enable and help the next generation of entrepreneurs. Um, and so I think one of the things that's really unique about what we do is, uh, as you mentioned, we're all operators. Um, most of us, many of us are, are ex-founders or you know, we're um, senior executives at, at fast-growing startups. Um, and uh, we have kind of two parts of our business. There's or two sides of our team. There's the team that focuses on investing, which I'm a part of. Uh, and then we have a team called our propulsion team. Um, and the whole uh, sort of strategy behind propulsion is as CEOs, we realized that every day on the job, we were doing something that we were not an expert in. So, you know, I very much believe like every CEO is forced to learn and do something that they've never done before almost daily. And so we thought, well, how do we put a a group of people around you uh, they can help shortcut some of those decisions um, and really help you, you know, make sure that you're keeping your business on the right path. Um, and so I kind of think about this propulsion team as, you know, each one of the members of that team have 15 to 20 years of industry experience and operating experience. And the whole idea is basically how do we allow entrepreneurs that we're working with to tap into that expertise whenever they need it? Um, you know, and, and because these folks are full-time employees of M13, um, we're all aligned in terms of incentives to try to make your company as successful as possible. So, so that's sort of the, the strategy and kind of the background. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like it's definitely something for for people as they're starting out in business. But is there is there a point at which M13 makes sense for a brand, be it uh, in terms of years in, in business or, or revenue or headcount? At what point sure. uh, is it the right decision for somebody to come to M13? So I, I would say say it like this, which is we love uh, building relationships with entrepreneurs. And so I, I would say it's never too early. Uh, to okay. M13. That being said, where we focus from an investment standpoint are at the seed and series A stages of investing. Um, and, you know, look, I think the, you know, series A, series B, you know, the letters don't really mean as much, but the way that we think about it is often the entrepreneurs that we're partnering with uh, have a product. Um, that product is often in the market, but there may be no revenue or very early signs of revenue. Uh, we have occasionally invested in, in pre-product, um, and you know we have occasionally invested in companies that have product and substantial amount of revenue. Um, but you know most of where we're spending our time is there's a product that we can see, feel, touch, um, and and we can really help uh, entrepreneurs think about the go-to-market and think about scaling. Uh, so, so that's kind of how we think about it. Gotcha, gotcha. So, never too early, but definitely kind of when they're getting to that to that point of, you know, the, having the early signs of revenue and, and just about uh, ramping up uh, in their business. That's absolutely right. Awesome. Okay, great. So, Gotham, you have uh, about two decades of experience watching brands grow and, and growing them yourself through through NatureBox. So, I'm curious to hear from you what you see as the biggest mistakes that first time entrepreneurs are making uh, and the challenges that they should be prepared for. So I think, um, look, every startup journey uh, is not without mistakes and and lessons learned. Uh, But some of the common mistakes that I see, uh, so there's two that that I'd want to highlight. The first is 
trying to grow before you've nailed product or retention. I see this mistake very common in consumer businesses where there's a lot of pressure on the founder and on the team to drive really fast growth and adoption of the product, um, but where maybe they haven't figured out the retention yet. And so what you run into there is a leaky bucket, right? Where you're really good at getting people to sign up and try the app, let's say, or, you know, sign up and, and get the first month of, uh, of a service, but then, you know, the product or the service really doesn't deliver. So they stop coming back, right? Um, so, so that's kind of the first mistake that, that we often see. The second uh, mistake that I often see, just given the seat uh, that, that I, I'm in and, and talking to entrepreneurs who are pitching their businesses, um, is not really having a clear narrative around the company. Um, and so, you know, often I think entrepreneurs uh, feel like that narrative has to be about growth and momentum. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would tell you that, you know, sometimes entrepreneurs kind of miss the the mark on why is this an important problem to solve and why is this the problem that you want to dedicate your life to solving, right? Um, and so there's, there is a really important narrative component of the startup kind of fundraising process. And I, I do feel like often, um, you know, entrepreneurs will get right into the, hey, here's what we're doing, right? And let me show you the metrics. And I I think, obviously, investors respond to that. So I I understand why. Um, But I would just um, also caution or encourage entrepreneurs to, you know, make sure that they are telling that narrative component as well, and and why, you know, they've decided to spend years of their life focused on, on this business, as opposed to all the other things that they could be doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, assuming they kind of nailed down the narrative piece of it and, and really building that quality retention, uh, I think the next phase that they, they probably would start to plan for is growth. And so what do you think is the point at which that businesses to, should start thinking about um, either adding more operators or investing in systems to be able to sustain that growth? I know a lot of startups, they kind of grow before they really have the need to, uh, in which case it can either propel them forward or it ends up hurting them uh, financially in the long run. So from your opinion, um, you know, what do you think is that point uh, that's the right time? My short answer here is earlier the better. Yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, having been a CEO that probably waited too long to invest okay. in systems, uh, systems and also just talent, right? Because I think as a CEO, you're always struggling with uh, budget, what what you can afford versus you know the talent that maybe you need. Right. Um, and I would I would just say earlier the better is kind of my answer. Um, I think you know uh, what. I encourage founders to do is just try to surround yourself with the best people um, that you can in the early days, even if those people are advisors, right? So even if you can't afford to hire um, because you don't have the budget, you surround yourself with smart advisors, right? Uh, And then when you do have the budget and you make your first senior hire, um, uh, you know, put be super thoughtful, put a lot of effort into getting that hire right, because that first senior hire is often the catalyst for a founder realizing how much leverage they can get out of the people around them, right? And so I think if you don't have the right people, then, you know, you kind of start down this path of, you know, maybe not uh, holding a high bar for for the, you know, remaining talent that you bring on. Um, And then similarly on systems, I mean, 
you know, there is a lot that you can do from a brute force standpoint, but, you know, honestly, software has become so efficient and inexpensive these days that, that, um, I, I definitely encourage entrepreneurs and founders to look for systems, uh, any large aspect of the business, look for systems that could at least make the job easier, um, and give you the most leverage out of the human capital and time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I want to take a moment to kind of talk about the current landscape with the pandemic. You know, there's, of course, been a lot of shifts in the way businesses operate and, and how supply chains are changing. What trends are you seeing or, or do you predict will unfold? And do you have any thoughts on how brands can withstand these changes? Yeah, it's been uh, quite a year. Um, so I don't think uh, any of us could have predicted uh, what's happening right now. But I think what's interesting about COVID, uh, obviously, none of us would have wished uh, for COVID to happen. Um, and there are a lot of people, you know, both in serious, you know, kind of sort of health, uh, having serious health issues, but also serious economic, uh, uh, you know, sort of issues and, and financial issues. Um, and so I think there's, there's obviously a lot of negative that's happened in the world. Um, I think, you know, for a lot of technology companies and e-commerce companies in particular, uh, COVID has really been an accelerator. Um, and so it is, Without doubt, uh, COVID is accelerating the way people uh, think about shopping, the way people interact with technology. Um, and so from a trends perspective, I really think that what we're seeing now is just the acceleration of trends that started years ago, um, but are happening much faster. And so things like same day delivery, right? Obviously, you know, if you had asked an e-commerce uh CEO a year ago about same day delivery, they might have said, yeah, it's on my roadmap or I'm thinking about it. Uh, I think a lot more CEOs that I talk to are actively going down the path of uh, figuring out how do I get this product to the consumer a lot faster, given how my online business is growing. Um, similarly, you know, a lot of brands are thinking about international shipping and capitalizing on the global opportunities. Uh, we're an investor in a company called Passport, which does um, international uh, shipping for e-commerce uh, merchants, and they've had a great year. Um, and then I think also Omnichannel, even though retail stores are, um, many retail stores are closed, I think a lot of brands are, are understanding that, you know, as the uh, environment normalizes, um, you know, there's consumers are going to want to buy products that they may have been purchasing online in the retail store and vice versa. Right. And so, you know, the folks that started on the digital side have to also be offline and the folks that were on the offline side also have to be online in a big way. Um, so I think it's the continuation of a lot of the trends that we've seen. Um, the one thing that I would add uh, it, it, from a longer term perspective that we're very excited about is you know, if you think about how autonomous uh, driving is going to shape and change the world of freight and uh, and delivery, um, I think that, you know, we're, we haven't even started to, you know, sort of uh, realize the impact that 
autonomous driving and robotics are going to have uh, in terms of the cost of getting a package from point A to point B. And so if you take a 10-year view of e-commerce, um, I am very bullish on the industry and the market because you know the, the cost of getting uh, a package to a consumer, I, I think is going to, you know, 10 years from now, be a fraction of what it is today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, these are a lot of fantastic insights, and thank you so much for for sharing your knowledge uh, with us today. Um, before we do wrap up, I have a round of questions that we try to you know ask every guest to get to know yourself a little bit more. Um, so, if you're ready for that, I'll kind of just start firing away. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, so, Gavin, tell me what's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received. So, you know, I read this, this book, um, uh, you might be familiar with it, but Shoe Dog, the Phil yes. Knight book, um, <laughs> which really changed the way that I think about advice, because okay. you know, one of the things Phil Knight says in the book is basically that nobody should give advice because, you know, uh, it's, it's like most of the advice that, that people, entrepreneurs receive in particular is bad advice. Um, you know, that being said, uh, I would say, so, so I, I do, I try rather than give advice, I try to just share personal learnings, um, mm-hmm. you know, which kind of has me, it maybe is a bit nuanced, but, but I think of it a little bit differently. And I would just say the personal learnings for me, um, have been, uh, that it's all about the people. Um, so just the importance of surrounding yourself with great people, um, in my uh, case, um, you know, I think about the people that I worked with, you know, at the beginning of my career 15 years ago and the relationships that have persisted since then, the amount that I've learned from those people, um, you know, it's just optimized. I, I feel like in, in all of the big decisions around career and, and company, many of those decisions are centered around people, right? So, you know, should I take this next job, you know, really depends on kind of who am I going to be working for? You know, are they going to have the capacity and the um, desire to mentor and teach? And so, so I think one of the big learnings for me um, is just that it all comes down when you boil it all down. It all comes down to, to great people. Yeah, and that kind of goes back to what you said earlier too about the narrative. I mean, the narrative is for people at the end of the day, right? So uh, it's really like that's that's the kind of the holy grail of of business is how 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 you can cater to people and work with people, and as well as uh, in your career as well professionally. Definitely. What about in terms of uh, your own past and a mistake that uh, you might have made? Uh, can you recall anything that comes to mind? And uh, yeah. if so, if you were able to change it, you know, tell me how you would change it. You know, one of the things um, that I, I think we really learned from in the early days of starting NatureBox is uh, I spent a lot of time trying to understand the market uh, and learning about the market, reading research reports and, you know, talking to experts in the market, um, but not a whole lot of time on understanding the customer behavior. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the things and I always tell people this kind of story around NatureBox is that when we started the company, we thought that, hey, you know, everyone buys snacks. It's a highly recurring um, sort of purchase because most people end up snacking on the same thing. Right. Day in and day out, they buy the same snacks. Um, but, you know, what we learned was snacking is such an impulse driven behavior that a lot of consumers aren't planning their snack purchases. And so getting them to shop online 
to um, and sort of plan their snacking ahead of time was a very challenging thing to do. And so I think had we known um, at the uh, at the beginning or had we made that insight around the customer behavior um, that snacking is impulse driven, we would have actually changed a lot of how we marketed the product um, and even built the early kind of version of the product um, because it just it, it the way that you talk to a consumer who might not be thinking about your product is so different, right. Than a customer looking for your product. Right. Um, so I just think, you know, to kind of sum that up, spending time understanding, not just the market, but the customer and really getting deep into the consumer behavior um, that's driving the, the purchase. Yeah, absolutely. Is there a resource, be it a book or um, you know anything online that you would recommend to your audience? And if you don't mention this, I will also mention your blog because I found that to be a very valuable resource. But is there anything outside of that that you, that you would uh, recommend? Well, I appreciate that. Um, you know, we try to, so, so I have, um, you know, some articles on my blog and, and really appreciate you, um, the kind words there. Um, we have a bunch of resources on our M13 website, um, that are pretty much all written by, uh, individual partners about, uh, areas of their expertise. And so m13.co, um, to, to find those. Um, so, so yeah, definitely some great pieces in there as uh, a reader it's, i found it to be very digestible and also just it, it covers a wide range of topics and really in depth it's not your you know 200 word blog it's uh, a thorough piece that you i feel like i'm actually sitting there talking to you it's your same language and so um definitely very well written and highly recommend uh, m13.co i appreciate that yeah um last question uh where should people go if they want to learn more about you yeah. So, um, you know, happy to connect with anyone. Um, Gotham at m13.co, uh, is my email address. Um, and then, you know, uh, our, um, M13 website is, um, probably the best place to just kind of learn more about the firm, um, learn more about, you know, sort of some of the things that I'm involved in. Uh, and, uh, as I mentioned, we, we'd love to, you know, kind of build relationships with, with entrepreneurs, uh, um, even if they're not, thinking about raising capital um, and uh, try to be helpful kind of in the process of, of building companies. And so if there's anything, you know, listening to this podcast or, or kind of uh, reading things on, on our website, if there's anything that you think we can do to help, um, please do reach out. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Gotham, thank you so much for taking the time today to share your wealth of knowledge. I really appreciate it. I'm sure our listeners will appreciate it as well. It was really great chatting with you. Thank you so much. Great. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of our podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Fuse Inventory, an inventory planning solution for the digital age. Fuse centralizes inventory sales and procurement data to generate a predictive forecast and inventory replenishment plan to help brands scale their supply chain. If you'd like to learn more, please visit FuseInventory.com or follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Plan less and do more with Fuse Inventory.